Sound Opinions listeners, it's Jim DeRogatis, and you are listening to a special bonus podcast. I'm doing this one without Greg Cott, because I have a level of expertise on the story that really is only matched by one other journalist and cultural critic, Kathy Iandoli, who has just written a book, Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah. We are going to dive deep into the uh, sad, inspiring timeless story of this singer who released three brilliant albums in her lifetime died at the age of 22 in a minute on sound opinions i'm back it's jim DeRogatis. we are going to talk about Aaliyah. let me issue a, a trigger warning here the following conversation contains some a discussion of sexual abuse of a minor please take care of yourself if that is going to be disturbing we won't be offended if you cannot listen but do know that most of the conversation until fairly late in our chat is uh, is about the genius of Aaliyah's music we are doing this special bonus podcast because of several historic firsts last week. For the first time in a federal courtroom on August 18th, the name Aaliyah was spoken as one of Kelly's victims that uh, he had underage sexual contact with her while writing the album he called Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. The next day, we heard the first witness tell that story for the first time. It's a story I'd reported in 2000. It is now very much in the news. All of that happened a day before, uh, after a 20-year drought, Aaliyah's music finally began appearing on streaming sites. And there is this brilliant new book, Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah. That's a lot of context, Kathy Yandley, but uh, I wanted listeners to know why we're doing it this way. Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah, you write crystal clear. This is a book by an Aaliyah fan for the Aaliyah fans. Let's start with the musical legacy of this young woman. When you became a fan and what you think the appeal is to so many. I became a fan, arguably, on the first day that Aaliyah became a part of music for us. You know, I, I, I was watching MTV when the Back and Forth video premiered. It's Friday and I'm ready to sing. Pick up my girls and hit the party scene tonight. Oh, it's all right. Mm-hmm. So, get so I was watching in real time this dynamic superstar on the rise just like right in front of me and we were the same age so so you were 15 yeah like she was we were born a month apart and i'm watching this this girl just and you know alia looked and sounded like no other artist that was out during that time frame i mean you remember what was going on during that time period where it was yeah, we're talking 1994. Yeah, where it became everyone had to look alike, and, and group, you have groups that all dress the same, and you know there was there yeah. was something very, it was a very just you know dressed monochromatically, and everything just looked like it was paired, and and there was no difference, right? Like there was no diversity, and then you have Aaliyah, and I remember just seeing her, and thinking to myself, wow, like. Who is this? She's so cool. But 
you know, the other things kind of got in the way during the, you know, in, inching into 95. And then she returns with one in a million in 96. And yeah. that, <laughs> there were maybe some fragments of the style from back and forth, the back and forth video, or even just, you know, obviously the other songs. Well, her mentor and producer had called uh, that look the R&B thug. Okay. Yes. So a little bit of street hip hop wear, but then always something else. Mm-hmm. This glamour. Yes. I think the the thing that was missing when you got to one in a million as opposed to aging nothing but a number, the stylistically what was missing wasn't needed. It was kind of like you were, you know, you kind of chipped away at the unnecessary parts and this now you got Aaliyah, right? Yeah. And yeah, once you got her. her, yeah, once you got her yeah. in full form, then it was like, oh my goodness. Like she's dynamic. Well, now, One in a Million, 1996, not only says this woman is a serious artist who's going to have a long career. She is nobody's uh, ingenue. Uh, it, it makes her career, establishes her as a serious artist. It also makes the career pretty much they had done a few things before. But Timbaland and Missy Elliott. What did you learn about uh, that unique team that made that record? Well, the one thing that I don't think we actually realized with One in a Million was how disjointed the project was in theory, because it is actually mm-hmm. two parts. The first, mm-hmm. the first part was kind of um, haphazardly like piecing together a bunch of producers because nobody wanted to work with Aaliyah after the R. Kelly situation for fear that they right. wouldn't get to work with R. Kelly again, right? Right. So you right. had this handful of tracks where there were so many, um, I don't want to call them brave, but you had these brave producers and, and collaborators who were kind of just working with her for this 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 chunk of the project and yeah. which include like you know Jermaine Dupri, Dark Child like there was you know there were some serious producers absolutely yeah. but again not wanting to be the whole of the project right right throwing her a track here and there and then you have the other half that is like Aaliyah and yeah. that's the Timbaland Missy combination and I think the chemistry and I don't know what the conversations were surrounding why they realized what this bond really was. When you think about where Missy and Timbaland came from with the swing mob, mm-hmm. they had their own trauma, right? Yeah. You know? And Missy, well, Missy as a woman, as a, as a woman in hip hop, never had an easy path. Never. And to this day, I don't think she gets the credit Timbaland ever got. No, absolutely. And so they kind of bravely left this, you know, um, tumultuous situation, too, with Swing Mob. Aaliyah mm-hmm. leaves R. Kelly's side. The uncertainty alone of where the fates of their careers were going to be, like, in this moment, that's like hanging overhead. So they kind of all come together, and it's just like throwing the caution to the wind. What, what can we do? Like, we might as well push the envelope we might as well take these risks you know it's in those risks that you're ultimately 
setting the tone for what a trend will be five, ten years from now, which is why obviously all yeah. these music is so relevant now because yeah. of the Ahead risk of they time. took. Yeah, it's the risk yeah. they took 25 yeah. years ago, right? So I think that there was, you know, this kind of um, misfits, right? Who came together, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And found yeah. each other. Yeah. All right. So, so, so you may um, you may take issue with me, and that's that's fine. You know, we're 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 both from Jersey, right? Yes. We can take it. I would say, Aaliyah never had the greatest, most powerful, stunning voice. She was not a Beyonce, right? She was a good singer, no doubt about it. But there was always something more, and you hear it on One in a Million coming into its own. Uh, there was something more. There was a, a, a relatability, a way she spoke to the listener's soul. W- would you agree with me? I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, uh, I'm not crediting her producers. Uh, uh, where she went in her career was, was on her talent, but it wasn't just the singing. It wasn't, but when you think about how hard it is for a falsetto to keep that range while you're dancing on mm. a stage... Yeah. It's very easy to write off the quality of her voice because it's even hard to be a balladeer with a falsetto, you know? Mm. So, yeah. and also Aliyah warmed up singing opera. So I would, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. um, I struggle to see an opera singer doing a dance routine while they're, you know, belting. No, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, you know, uh, she called her her aunt. They weren't blood, but, uh, you know, performing as a little tyke, you know, a preteen with well, Gladys, Gladys Knight. Knight. <laughs> Auntie yeah. Gladys Knight. You know, and Gladys is like blown away. But, but Gladys herself said there was something. There was a charisma above and beyond the talent as a dancer, uh, as a uh, singer. Absolutely. And I think what it was was that... What Aaliyah exuded on the inside was an artist, was a a musician, you know, who could do so many different things, which in which Mm -hmm. ultimately made her this perfect package. If you if you think about it. Right. Because there are some artists, not Beyonce, like you mentioned, I mean, Beyonce is a perfect package as well. But there are some artists who are all voice and may not have the other stuff. Right. And then there's some artists who struggle with voice, but may have just like something very specific outside of that. Aliyah had enough of everything and, and more and, and then some. So yeah. she, it's, it's the, the personality and the swag and the, the, the charisma and the confidence. And I think the determination, like I think she was just very aware of the fact that she had to put her best self forward because if she didn't, there was so much at stake. We had this other conversation that was like overhead, right? Yeah. Even now. The dark cloud. The yes, dark especially cloud. Especially now. Yes. So she had to continuously defy the odds. And the only way you do that is through con- like consistency, authenticity, yeah. Yeah. heart, passion, determination. Because really, let's think about it. With all that she endured in 94, the criticism and the backlash that she got from that in 95, some people might have just quit. Yeah. You could tell she really wanted to be there. She wanted to be there. Yeah. And she had something to prove. You write, that woman was made of steel. Yes. And that's saying something for a tough chick from Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you mean by that? I mean that you have to be a certain type of individual, a certain type of woman to 
endure what you endure at a young age, to consistently maybe understand that you are the nucleus that is making all of this happen, yet still being yeah. seen as an accessory, an ingenue, yeah. to your point. A you prop, know, a, a prop. prop. You, have to, you have to be a certain type of individual who still gets out on that stage, who still just boldly continues to push the envelopes of fashion and music, acting, going into these yeah. worlds when you know the conversations that people are still having about you yeah. and succeeding. And we never, ever, ever gave Aliyah enough credit for that because inside yeah. she was made of steel, but on the outside she was just so sweet and kind. It's the street but sweet. You know, it's that, that whole, right. that descriptor. Also, you know, uh, having interviewed her once and only once when the debut album came out, um, that combination of naivete and this is, one, you know, because she's so young, 15, and you could tell at times she's a 15-year-old girl the way she laughed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then every once in a while, these nuggets that, that your 97-year-old grandmother would have passed on as pure wisdom. It's, and you'd be like, wow, this is an old soul in such a young woman's body. Mm-hmm. She was definitely an old soul there. And I think because how we're seeing her legacy live on even 20 years later, you, yeah. you know that she was, she was otherworldly. Like, yeah. she wasn't of this planet. She didn't look like people can replicate the Aliyah look, but Aliyah was Aliyah and Aliyah will always be Aliyah. Remind listeners, uh, Kathy, what uh, the name Aliyah means in Arabic. It means uh, the highest, most exalted one, the best, or the, yeah. cha the champion, yeah. like Muhammad Ali. You know, it's it's a yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. feminized version of Ali. The Aaliyah album, self-titled, right, whenever an artist, uh, well-established in their career, self-titles an album, it's always something of a declaration. I'm rebooting. I'm doing something else. 2001 comes out, uh, spawns several more hits, uh, as record companies are wont to be. They are greedy to wring one more out of it. She's making a video. She just finished a video in the Bahamas, and uh, she's killed. August uh, 2001, 22, in a plane crash, small plane. Let's talk about the music. What did that album accomplish? You know, first of all, she didn't really have her one in a million team with her. You know, at this right. at this point, they were kind of estranged. And yeah. Static Major, who is a genius in his own right, he he kind of stepped forward to help take the reins of this project, and the project had to be recorded in Australia while she's filming Queen of the Damned. She's doing all these mm -hmm. things. You're talking about a, a five-year time frame between one and a million and the Aliyah project, right? Yeah, 96 to 2001, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, she had Try Again, Are You That Somebody. She had a couple of like soundtrack hits sprinkled in, but you're talking about a, five years in between albums. And- Yeah, forever in pop music time. Oh gosh, yeah. So they all go with this whole team and they head out to Australia. And there's a difference in the studio time now, right? 
Aliyah's mm-hmm. not being handed a reference track that she then adds her own lyrics to in a freestyle way when she's re-singing it like she did on One in a Million. Static's kind of sitting with her and being like, so, talk to me about your uh, relationship that, gone, that had gone sour. And Aliyah talks mm-hmm. about it. And he's writing the lyrics. And she's like, I don't, I, let's change it to that. It was very collaborative. When Aliyah was going yeah. into the songwriting portion of it, Static saying, no, no, push yourself, keep going. You know, yeah. when she's in the booth, no, no, push those vocals, like keep going. You, you have it, you have it. And I think yeah. that was an entirely different experience from what Aliyah might've been used to in, in any project, but also just yeah. um, as an adult who was really just really coming into her own and, and realizing her, um, her power and recognizing her identity. So yeah, you call it Aliyah because it feels most like an it feels the most like an Aliyah project, right? Yeah, and and she had contributed more directly to it with some of the lyrics she added than the earlier records. Yeah, and it wasn't just her um, changing things up as she got in the booth; it was her right. sitting and making these songs collaboratively, which is entirely different. Right. Right. Why did she fall out? You mentioned uh, quickly she fell out with the one in a million team. Why? What, I mean, I, I always thought that, that Timbaland and Missy just got so busy. Everybody wanted a piece of them. They were now bona fide hit makers. Uh, but what was the falling out there? Well, it, you know, it was Genuine who actually kind of confirmed it publicly that there there had mm-hmm. been something going on. And, and, you know, in speaking with people for the book, I um, the story that I had been told is, I think it was more regarding Blackground than Aaliyah herself. Yeah, but that's the record company that her uncle, Barry Hankerson, ran. Yes. And because, you know, you're talking about Aaliyah, who I found from the, after her passing, you found that she was a 10% owner in the whole company, right? So now mm-hmm. it's like, a, mm-hmm. it becomes a family business. And when that family business is not paying its employees, you're blaming all the bosses, right? Yeah. So... Yeah. You know, they there was like kind of this separation. And I think there was, you know, this pressure where if Aliyah, if every project Aliyah had had a different team mm-hmm. and that wasn't you being like um, how Madonna would reinvent herself with each project. Like if, if there's no continuity, if your team always changes. So by the third one, it might look like it's a you problem, right? And, yeah. and Aaliyah was urged to then, she had to be the one to go to Timbaland and ask for some tracks. Mm-hmm. So We Need a Resolution is, is a song based on an argument. I'm tired of arguing, girl. Trying to blame me when I don't even know the reason. I think it's just the season. Maybe the month, maybe the abuling. Timbaland never puts himself as this as the person talking to her. Like even in Are You That Somebody, he's saying baby girl, but are known as Aliyah. He's kind of hyping her. Yeah. But this that song is the two of them singing to each other. Yeah. You know, did you sleep on the wrong side of the bed? Like, you know, and him being like, um, you give me bits and pieces. You know, you you try to play me when I don't even know the reason. They're they're arguing with each other. 
Well, later this afternoon, Thursday, August 19th, R. Kelly's uh, road manager, one of his best friends, came up with him from the streets of the South Side, is going to take the stand in Kelly's racketeering trial in New York. Demetrius Smith, he first spoke to me in 2000 and began to tell me what happened with, uh, with Aaliyah. He bought fake documents on Maxwell Street in Chicago saying she was 18. That enabled a wedding. Kelly was 27, she was 15, out at one of the airport hotels here by O'Hare. As soon as her family found out about it, they were separated, they never spoke again. I reported all this, you cite my reporting. You know, there were documents that had been sealed by the courts in Michigan and Illinois because she was still living in Detroit. Uh, I've seen those documents. I've written about those documents. All right, there was this marriage. The world finds out about it, and the whole thing is sort of covered up. Uh, Was she really 15? Was she 18? I mean, I had the Jive Records press releases saying she was 15. Other people were saying, I don't know. I asked her about it. People say all sorts of things. Don't believe that mess, she tells me, as she told any journalist who dared to ask her about Kelly. We now know there was a settlement, uh, $100 officially, possibly $3 million or more, uh, off the books, my sources told me. As a journalist and as a fan, you know, like all great music writers, you are balancing both. Um, I think it's safe to say neither you nor I know 100% what happened there. Uh, You don't claim to. You report the evidence uh, that's been on the record and the evidence you've dug up through your reporting. That's all I ever did as well. And some of it remains a mystery. But what does it mean uh, to her fans and to you that for the first time in federal court, people are going to hear that this young woman was wronged at 15 by the dominant voice in R&B? I say finally. That's yeah. This is a long time coming, and I and I have to say something though, Jim. You know, if it wasn't for your reporting, and your diligence, and your willingness to protect these girls, you were literally the only journalist who did. And and I took a page from your playbook when I wrote chapters two and three, because you, the thing from reading Soulless and reading all of your reporting is facts over feelings, right? You can, yeah. you, what, yeah. All you can do is lay out the facts. That's all you can do. Because, uh, you know, when, when I read the stuff that you had found and then the other stuff that I dug up and I just, I was sick to my stomach thinking how arguably the, the media, fans, every, we, we misdiagnosed this disease, you know? Yeah. And... Yeah. You know, even for the like the these trials, she was Jane Doe number one, and now, you know, she is listed as all as a victim. But for the first time, she can be listed as a survivor. Right, right. That's uh, the only thing I would correct you on there, Kathy. Is I was persistent. I'm thick-headed, but but it was those women. It was those women, including many who loved Aaliyah, including some who shared stages with Aaliyah, who were brave enough to speak to me. Oh yeah. Uh, that enabled this story to get out. Without those women, uh, this trial and the one that will follow in Chicago would not be happening. So everything is all the credit to the women. But if she had come out in her lifetime, we still don't know. Your book doesn't come to a conclusion. Mine doesn't either. Right. Why did she never speak on the record about the wrong done to her? Why did her mother never speak on that? Barry Hankerson is R. Kelly's manager. He is Aaliyah's manager. He runs her record company. His sister works in his office, right? 
Aaliyah's mom. Nobody in the Hankerson or Houghton families have ever spoken on the record about what the hell happened with that illegal marriage, that illegal sexual contact in, in uh, when she was 15. Uh, we don't know if they're going to testify in trial. We don't know what evidence about Jane Doe number one, Aaliyah, is going to be presented. We do know that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, for the first time, I researched Barry Hankerson extensively. For the first time, he gave a long video interview to Billboard talking about how uh, the Kelly situation and the death of Aaliyah drove a wedge between him and his sister, Aaliyah's mom. Uh, and that was at the root of why, uh, for 20 years, you couldn't stream any Aaliyah's music. All of these things, uh, her name being said in court, Hankerson talking for the first time on the record to the music trades, these have to be connected, no? I think so. I think, you know, first of all, I think... Let's let's be very clear, and I and I, I have my book in front of me, which I you know yep. I cite from from your book, right? And I want to read something really quickly. The sure. the passage, the wording from the sealed document that you say. Yeah. It says that the agreement R. Kelly was to pay a hundred dollars or three million to Ali in exchange for cutting ties altogether, due to the nature of the music industry and its ability to engender rumors and disseminate um, <laughs> personal information, disseminate, yeah. disseminate both true and untrue, as per the agreement. And then that you're, they're not supposed to speak on any of this, and R. Kelly is not held accountable, even if a decline in her ability, reputation, or marketability, emotional distress caused by any aspect of her business or personal relationship with Robert, or physical injury or emotional pain and suffering from any assault or battery perpetrated by Robert against her person. So... I will confess, I missed, when I first had that document, I missed assault and battery. I, I, he hit her. I had not heard about him, uh, according to that document, right? Uh, yes. I had not heard about him uh, hitting any young woman when I started that reporting. And now we've had dozens who've spoken bravely on the record. Did he hit Aaliyah the way he has hit some, uh, hit some of these other women? It's a horrifying question. Well, you wouldn't didn't put it. hurt her physically. You wouldn't put in a document that he was protected from hurting her physically if he didn't hurt her physically. And, yeah. you know, due a to document sealed by the court that I was never supposed to see. Right. And if you if you think about the wording from a legal standpoint. Yeah. It almost in a roundabout way prevents Aaliyah from even getting therapy. Because when they talk about yeah. the decline in her ability to perform, yeah, it, HIPAA aside, you then can't get the healing that you're supposed to have. Like you're not so, you're not able to recover. So the recovery had a the, there was a price tag on that, and you know yeah. that will stop people from speaking. But I think you know you mentioned something about Barry. Hankerson and all of this, you know, the music coming to light, you know, finally tomorrow being the start of this very staggered rollout, right? I think that the reason why he finally is speaking is because, and not speaking on that, speaking on just speaking in general and then talking about just like um, putting this music out. I think Barry is just very well aware of the fact that in many ways he's been villainized this whole time, right? He has, yeah. And if I will say when I when I finished writing this book, 
I didn't have as much animosity towards Barry Hankerson. I wasn't mad at him because anybody, and you, and you talk about this too, who, when, when, when Barry put two and two together, when he was watching Tia Hawkins talk on trial, he it yeah. finally clicked. But he's like, if it could happen to her, it could happen to my niece. And he cut ties with R. Kelly at that point. They walked away from millions of dollars. Walked away from millions of dollars and in that farewell suggests that he gets help. And then... Puts puts that on the record. Yes. He only spoke to me a few times on the record. He puts me on the phone with his attorney who tells me about the letter he wrote to Kelly's uh, uh, people, including Jive Records, and says this man has a compulsion uh, for illegal sexual pursuit and he needs help. And then... Because Barry is a gangster as much as he is a music industry mogul. I was hoping you would point that out. There is something a little frightening about Mr. Eggerson. But, <laughs> but then he tries to have him killed. R. Kelly. He, yeah. and mi- he goes to Louis Farrakhan yes. and says, Minister, I'm going to kill that man. And, you know, Minister, Which is on the record, on, on video. The, on the record. And Minister Farrakhan says, he's a man of God. <laughs> Let us let us take these videos for you. Let's take these off your hands. Let's 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 get them in another way. But I think like there was too much comfort in making Barry look like the villain, and because yeah. of a contract and a and and I, and I don't care how much it is, it's still just a couple of dollars. You you can't villainize Barry Hankerson and not villainize R. Kelly. You know the one thing that Barry said in the video that really hit me was he was like, I hope the fans can forgive me. Because I, yeah. we know that Barry didn't want to hold on to this music for that long. And I think, you know, after, you know, I, I believe he suffered a stroke. You know, yeah. he's the man, he's the only, if, if God forbid something happened to him, her music could never get out. Right. So I think he, I think he had to pull this lever because I think he watched his niece's legacy completely just being kind of dismantled. Because if you look at, uh, like, the way that Aliyah is treated now without music, you know how, like, when you go into different churches and Jesus looks different to fit the comfort of the congregation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's who Aliyah's become. She's become yeah. this piece of iconography that you pick up and you play, and, and it, it fits the comfort of the fan. You know, I've seen, mm. there are so many doctored photos of Aliyah. Ones where she's yeah, wearing she's wearing a Muslim hijab in in some mm-hmm. you know um, her, sometimes her skin is lighter than um, in others they they darken her skin they change her body proportions like she's become the statue that that just fits w- whatever the person who is experiencing Aliyah for the first time sans music right. Because yeah, 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 yeah. Because those of us who experienced her in between the years of 1994 and 2001, we're not going to doctor a photo of Ali. I mean, sometimes I put my cover of the book in her hand, but let's just you know, get that. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's just a little Photoshop. That's just, that's just you know being cute. But no, but when I'm not, I'm not distorting Ali's person. I'm not changing right. her from who she is. And when I was putting this book together, and and you know after the um, at least the announcement of it, and people started to just. Of course, they pulled the wrong stuff out of the book. You know, you're talking about someone whose career is bookended by two catastrophes, right? So it became like just easy. And and the whole point was not what was bookending it. The whole point of the whole book was was the middle, right? Was was the dash, so to speak, right? The the woman of steel and this music. Yes. Yes, yes. So I, it was uncomfortable for people to understand 
finally that she was a human being. That that yeah. was where it became uncomfortable because now it was, you know, this per this you're messing you're 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 giving my statue a heartbeat. You know? Yeah. Um or you're saying the statue's a little off. Yes. Kathy, you and I have talked about this, but for the benefit of our listeners, there is this phenomenal thing. Now, I'm in Chicago. She's from Detroit, okay? But still, Chicago is the epicenter of the Aaliyah myth. I go to the jewels, as we call it, <laughs> the, the shopping mall, and there is a, uh, a trans woman and checks me out at the cash, and she's got the Aaliyah shirt. And her name is Aaliyah. And I've had three or four students at Columbia College Chicago who have been named Aaliyah. I have the guy at the UPS store where I get all my mail. Number one Aaliyah fan. He's just getting the tattoo this week to mark this historic week. Okay. Young uh, Latinx boy. You know, the the love. uh, Now, I've seen a lot. And I've seen my share talking about another death in the same time period, uh, uh, more or less. Uh, You know, Kurt Cobain t-shirts. I've seen them, right? And they come up to me and then, oh, you interviewed Kurt, right? And I get that same, you interviewed Aaliyah, right? <laughs> as if, as if I, you know, the disciple touched the hem of the skirt of, of Jesus, right? And it, it, wow, that intensity. And in, and and again, to remind people, these are I'm talking twenty somethings who couldn't even listen to the music yes. unless they found the used CDs for the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. She, Where does that come from? It it comes from this magnificent aura that we didn't appreciate when we had her around. Mm. We, we, we didn't, we didn't get it. Like we, you you could look at her and say, Oh, I I wanted her to be my best friend, which is something that I always said. Right. You, you could Mm -hmm. look at her and just be like, Oh wow. You know, she's amazing. She's this, she's that. But because there was no other Aaliyah ever again, when you have this fan base who finds her, and the other thing is, they have to work hard to get her, right? They have to- Yeah, they gotta dig. They gotta dig they, for that music. They have to, they have to um, work overtime at their jobs to pay $300 for her vinyl, you know? Yeah. Or, or $56 yeah. on Amazon for her CD. I mean, now, you know, with Blackground releasing the catalog, that's, it's, it's different. Right. But for all of these fans, they had to work overtime. They had to go and, you know, I, so I've spoken to so many fans and you're talking about kids who as their only Christmas present just want an issue of teen people that she was in. Or, yeah, you yeah, know, the YM yeah. magazine that, that um, you know, one of my favorites. But they will be like, okay, you know what? Forget everything else. $35 on eBay. That's what I want for my birthday. That like, these are the things and they yeah, put together yeah. these phenomenal collections. Yeah. So when you work that hard to get that, that, um, to, to acquire all of this, it only adds to the love that you have for who or what you're collecting. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing. Like you're talking about in, um, not only Aliyah fans, but Aliyah enthusiasts, you know? Yeah. So and because the interviews are almost like watching reality TV for them, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's like watching a, a, a series, a, this thing that's happening and continues to happen because now you have photographers coming forward and releasing like never before released photos like Hamish Brown, who did the cover of my book. You know, he, he, um, yeah. we collaborated um, on him rolling out some, some un- unreleased photos. So you have all this stuff that's happening. 
And all of these fans are just like, yes, yes, yes. And if Alia were still here, we probably wouldn't get outtakes of photo shoots. We wouldn't get right. grainy reference tracks. We wouldn't get any of yeah. those things. We would she because she would still be an active artist. So they're getting right. they're getting everything that you could possibly sweep up from the cutting room floor. And they're paying for it. They're they're digging for it. So it adds more meaning for them than arguably it did for us because we had her here. But I think we took for granted just how long she would be here. Hmm. Hmm. Well, okay. A, a, a place to end this. Uh, she is Jane Doe number one in the federal trial in uh, New York. They couldn't keep that name secret. Uh, the name Aaliyah is being spoken in court. Do you think uh, she's not uh, victim number one? Several of uh, uh, the, the, the young women who became her backing singers uh, were victimized, and then Kelly moved on to Aaliyah. She is arguably survivor number one in the biggest, most dramatic way. Two brilliant albums that follow after she is sexually abused by Kelly at age 15, a movie career launched. Who knows where she could have been had she not uh, died at 22 in 2001. Do you think, I, I, do you think what I hope will happen will happen? That other young women suffering trauma and abuse in their own lives, possibly in their own families, will look at her and take strength from the woman made of steel. Do you think now uh, that this is all coming out, uh, she will uh, be an icon for, for an even better reason, more powerful reason? Yes, and I, and I hope that it will lead to young women putting their foot down in situations. Like if they see a rickety plane saying, yeah. I'm not getting on that and being able to cite, Aliyah didn't want to get on that, right? Like, yeah. or yeah. I'm not, unco I'm, I'm uncomfortable flying to my 30 year old producer's home to record an album. I need people with me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, yeah. or having people around maybe recognizing this doesn't look right. Because in, yeah. instead of instead of using the catch-all, well, you remember when Aaliyah was messing with R. Kelly? No, that's not what happened. Yeah. You know, I, when Aaliyah was assaulted by R. Exactly. Kelly. Exactly, and I hope that with this trial and with my book, and I hope that people will once again revisit Soulless. I want us to just close this chapter. Like this is it's done now. Yeah. Let's let's stop bringing. Yeah. Let's stop dignifying that situation with a mention of his name. Like, let's get him, like, it, yeah, it's done yeah. now. It's done now. There's 20 more years to honor her and 20 more after that and after that that we have to, we have to catch up on the flowers. You know, when they say, the, um, mm, you know, mm. when someone deserves their flowers, we, we have a lot of flowers to give Aaliyah, uh, mostly, mostly with apology notes attached to them. Well said. Kathy Eondali, Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah. It's the definitive biography of Aaliyah, a book uh, that is as inspiring as it is said at, at parts, you know, uh, but uh, mm -hmm. one that needed to be written. So thank you for writing it, Kathy. No, thank, thank you for having me. And thank you for coming on Sound Opinions. Thanks. I appreciate it. I always love coming on here. You've been listening to a bonus podcast of Sound Opinions, very timely uh, given the news about Aaliyah this week. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your listening. You can contact us on our Facebook group. You can join our Patreon. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.